0: Hey everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the co-director of Charts at Billboard. The Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got Coming Around Again with Billboard.com Senior Associate Editor Andrew Unterberger. Andrew will be chatting with Billboard.com Associate Editor Taylor Weatherby about the 20th anniversary of Shania Twain's blockbuster album, Come On Over. They'll talk about Taylor's interview with Shania looking back at the album, how Come On Over was able to become and stay such a commercial force, and how 20 years later, Shania's general approval rating has never been higher. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes so you won't miss an episode. And, you know, if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcasts. Okay, so we all know Come On Over was a huge album. After all, since Nielsen Music began tracking sales in 1991— it's actually the top selling album by a woman and the second biggest selling album overall in that span of time, with a whopping 15.7 million copies sold in the United States. But can you guess how many singles were released from the album in the US? Just take a guess five, six, eight, actually, 11. That's right, there were 11 singles from the album that were officially promoted to country radio in the U.S. That's more than half of the entire album's track list. And get this, all 11 of the songs reached the top 30 of our Hot Country Songs chart, with 8 of them hitting the top 10. So, pull up a seat and take a load off your feet as it's time to come on over on Coming Around Again. feel
1: like a woman. Hello, welcome to Coming Around Again, Billboard's anniversary-themed podcast celebrating anniversaries in the music world. Uh, This week we got a pretty big one, one of the biggest-selling albums of all time, I believe the biggest-selling album ever released by a female artist, and that's Shania Twain's Come On Over, uh, turning 20 on November 4th, and here to talk about it with us, we have a uh, Billboard associate editor and professional fangirl, Taylor Weatherby. What's up, Taylor?
2: Hey, how you doing? i excited Do- to s- talk sh- all about Shania. That's
1: right. You-, you were just saying before we started recording that this album, this is actually this actually was like a birthday present to you back in the day, right?
2: Yes, when I turned six. So I probably had no idea because I was really too focused on the Spice Girls, but... You know, it's, uh, looking back on it, I'm like, I couldn't have asked for a better present. Right, yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, you know, speaking of the Spice Girls, as everybody knows, you are Billboard's official boy band and girl group correspondent. But uh, you dance to take on a solo artist this time. Uh you interviewed Shania for, for the 20th anniversary of Come On Over. you got a really great piece going online today, and uh should be coming up in the MAG to, soon, too. So uh, why don't you talk a little bit about your personal history with Shania? Uh,
2: you know, I honestly don't really remember... How I got into her because I was so young. Like, I remember the boy bands for whatever reason, but I don't really remember if there was, like, a specific moment that got me into Shania. I think it was more just she was everywhere, and my dad liked her music, so it was on in the car whenever it would come on the radio, and I think he probably had all of her albums, so we were just kind of listening to her. It wasn't like it was, like, an obsession with my dad or anything, but I definitely correlate her to my dad and the boy bands to my mom. But.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not, not traditional dad rock Shania Twain, but uh, to, to each their own. And yeah. cer- certainly this album crossed over all ages and genders and For sure. demographics. Uh, but yeah, this, I think every, every, everybody in the office knew that you were going to be interviewing Shania Twain because uh, you, you, you were not exactly stoic about it when you found out this was going to be a thing that was happening. You're not know, exactly
2: you were, stoic about anything. Not generally a so.
1: stoic person, no. But uh, you were you were falling out of your chair. You were wearing your Shania Twain t-shirt. Uh, how, how excited? Where, like, where does this rank for you on like, your all-time? Oh my god,
2: probably... Well, I think Backstreet Boys getting all five was pretty insane. But I mean, I would say one in terms of a solo artist. Okay. It's like... That and, like, Justin Timberlake, and that'll probably never happen. So, like, I don't think I ever would have imagined that I would be able to interview Shania Twain in my life. So, I mean, yeah, it, it was a huge deal. And just – she feels kind of untouchable. Like, sure. she's so big, and especially because she was gone for that 15-year period. Yeah, it I kind, just of, kind of builds like, up, like, a
1: mythic status. In her yeah, absence, yeah.
2: She's just a legend that's floating in space <laughs> that no one can reach. But, yeah, I think it was definitely – Absolutely, one of the top interviews. Not necessarily because of how it went, but just because of how much it meant to me. Sure. And I mean, the fangirl was real on that phone call. I don't. I felt real bad because I was like, you know what? I, I probably went a little overboard on telling you how much I love you. Yeah, it was but was you're it probably to the point where you were freaking
1: her out, or were you just freaking out yourself?
2: Um, if I was freaking her out, she wasn't obvious about it. So she's a I'd say it, I'd say it went well. So okay. we'll see. But you know, she's like, "You're so sweet" and things. I'm like. As long as you don't say creepy after sweet, I'm okay.
1: <laughs> and, and generally, how did she live up to your impression of her? Did did, did, she, did she you know did she merit that kind of goddess status that she has in your head?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I will say I don't know if we can put keep this in the the podcast, but I had an intern help me out with getting this transcribed and. The way that he put it was, like, so perfect that I felt like I had to read it sure. and give Brian some credit. Yeah, shout, uh, out, shout
1: out to Brian Rowley. yeah, the Lord in turn, He said,
2: she obviously knows she's one of the biggest stars of all time, but she's comfortable enough in her own skin to not talk herself up or downplay her achievements.
1: That's beautiful. And
2: I know. I was like, that was very poetic of you, Brian. But I think that's exactly – that speaks to exactly to how she was. Like, okay. she – it was very clear that she has been in this business for a very long time. She's a superstar. She's aware of her achievements, but she's not going to be bragging about them. But she's also going to bring them into her career. You know, it's, she's not going to like leave them in the past and not acknowledge sure the, what she's done for country music and just any kind of artists in general and you know pushing boundaries. So, uh, but I, I had heard that she was a little guarded from a friend that had interviewed her, and so I was like. I know that she's been through a lot, and I know that I think one of the biggest concerns was that her ex-husband, that all the controversy was centered around, was very heavily involved in the making of this album. He produced it. He co-wrote every song with her. He was very involved in her the beginning of her career, so I knew he would come up at some point. I had no specific questions where I felt it was going to come up. I knew it would, but I didn't have any kind of Questions pointing him out because I just didn't want to even approach that topic if she wasn't comfortable. But he obviously came up in conversation. So, you know, but it was nothing. There was no awkwardness at all. Mm. And I think it was more because it was like a celebratory interview. And I think the friend that I had talked to about Shania was that was somebody that had talked to her coming into this now period with the new album and coming back from 15 years away and whatnot. So I think this was more of a nostalgia Mm -hmm. talk and, you know, a celebration of what she did with this album and the fact that somebody like, you know, 25 year old writer is like this ultimate fangirl for it and what, what that album meant to me and then getting to talk to her about what it meant to her and kind of relating both of those. So she was great.
1: And, and just jumping back to the, the, the kind of drama that you mentioned, don't have to dwell on it, but it's it's worth explaining for anybody at home that isn't familiar. That uh, you know, obviously, Shania was was married to to Robert Mutt Lang, who produced and as you said, produced and co wrote the album. Uh, married for a very long time, and then fell out over an, an affair that he had with her best friend, and then she ended up getting married to that former best friend's ex husband. It's, it's a pretty seamy thing, and actually, I don't think it really. I don't know if I just wasn't, like, as plugged into pop media at the time, but, like, I didn't even hear about this until, like, years after it happened. I couldn't believe how how just seemy it was. Yeah,
2: I honestly don't remember when I heard about it, but I know I heard about it because I was like, okay, that's a crazy thing to happen to one of the biggest names in country and – Pop.
1: I guess maybe because like she doesn't seem like like she seems like she lives like a pretty casual off screen life so it, it's sort of surprising that she be, she'd be caught up in this kind of soap operatic thing right but uh so but when you talked about it with her and obviously you didn't talk about the details but she she she's okay with kind of you know, re- revisiting this as part of her story and that and that she she did have these, you know, songs with Mutt and that, you know. For
2: sure. Well, and I think that he played a really big part in her confidence, which mm-hmm. was really cool to hear about. I mean, obviously back then they were romantically involved, so he's going to support her. But I think just from our conversations that we had about her songwriting, because this album was the focus on songwriting for her sure. because she had had involvement in the two albums prior, and she had written some stuff on The Woman and Me that she was very proud of, but she actually told me, which was one of the biggest things that surprised me, was that she didn't feel like she had a set list full of songs from the two first albums. She felt like she did not have songs that were powerful enough to take to a tour, to a, like, at least a full-blown tour for the way that The Woman and Me exploded. But um, yeah, so she didn't feel like she had powerful enough songs so she really wanted to delve into her songwriting and i think that the success of the woman in me but but almost more importantly how much he pushed her and how much confidence he gave her with what she can do i think that was a really big part of it and i think that was probably the biggest reason he even would come up in our conversation was just the fact that he played into who she was at the time sure
1: and, you know, you mentioned The Woman in Me, and this is something you, that she touches on in your interview and that, that you touch on yourself, that, you know, this album, you, you think, you, you look back on this kind of era night when you think of Come On Over. Like, this was the big album for her. The Woman in Me was, sold over 10 million copies. It went diamond. Yeah. Like, it, it was as big a country album, certainly by, by a female artist, and really just by anybody, period, aside from, like, maybe some of those Garth Brooks albums. But it was, like, an unprecedented commercial achievement. But this album was so big that it like reduced it to like oh that was that was the album before coming right. over, but like she says that oh I, I had no idea how I was gonna I was gonna live up to this album because it was yeah. such a huge achievement for her at the time.
2: Yeah, that was another thing that really surprised me was that she was like I was really nervous because I didn't know if I could follow it up, and she actually uh, told me that the any man of mine she felt like that was like the quintessential country song and what she wanted to say as a country artist and just kind of, like, the vibe and the feel and the message she wanted to send. She was like, how am I going to do that again, especially in a full album, not just another single? And so that was another concern for her, too, is, like, she felt like not only did she do this amazing achievement with this album and sell 10 million copies and, you know, obviously become this huge hit, but she already felt like she had portrayed what she wanted to say and so she's like how do I figure out what I want to say and how do I make it even bigger honestly we didn't really we weren't really able to dive like into how but it seemed like it was just kind of an organic thing in the way that she just focused and said I wasn't she told me I wasn't going to hit the road I was going to not tour on the woman in me and specifically focus on songwriting and make sure that I can make the album that's the greatest of the time that it can be
1: yeah. And whatever it was, she certainly figured it out. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I think over 16 million copies sold and, and and just an album that lasted forever. Like it comes out in November of, of 1997. I think you say in your piece that like it's still spinning off singles into 2000. Like it yeah. that, that lasted for about two and a half years and like was consistently just just everywhere at the time is r- unbelievably impressive. But the, the other thing in the, in the interview that took me by surprise is when she talked about how like writing a power ballad was a new thing for her. And that mm-hmm. how that was something that she didn't even necessarily feel comfortable with doing. And that when she wrote uh, from this moment on, which is you know now one of her signature songs and you know a, a wedding staple and all that, that she was she was writing it with Celine Dion in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did, did that surprise you that that she was so gun shy about the power ballads? Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Especially one of my favorite parts of our conversation was when she said that she said I did not think people were going to gravitate toward my ballads, and it was specifically credited to the fact that. The Woman in Me, the song, was one of her favorite songs that she's ever written, still to this day is what it sounded like from what she was saying. Um, And it didn't really do what she wanted it to do for a song that she was so confident in, so that was what particularly made her feel like she maybe isn't a ballad artist and people didn't want to hear ballads from her, but she knew that writing From This Moment On and You're Still the One, those two... Had something powerful within them, but she had this like, yeah, like you said, she had Celine Dion in mind because she was like, I don't think I can sing this. Right. But that was another thing where Mutt came in. And he was like, No, you need to sing this. This needs to be on your album. It needs to be your song.
1: Yeah, and the other interesting thing that, that I don't think she talked about was from this moment on. Like, have you have you heard the version of that with Brian White, like the country singer yeah. doing his duet? That you you hear that version on the international album of the uh, sorry, the international version of the album but it's she, he's not on the U.S. version. And, like, I was reading about it, and it's it's because, like, he wasn't available to promote it at the time. Like, he was oh, on tour I doing his own yeah, thing. Yeah, I
2: don't know. I didn't know that.
1: But, like, can you imagine, like, like, like being, like, like the, the, one of the first big singles off one of the biggest albums of all time, and I, I personally couldn't name a Brian White song. I'm sure no. he was very popular at the time, but uh, you know he it's says that, that
2: train. <laughs> yeah, he
1: says there's no regrets because he doesn't consider himself a pop artist, so he well, he would not want to do the pop version of the song. But uh, if he has an accountant, that guy might feel otherwise.
2: Well, and I don't want to think that that would take away from the song at all, but I do think that it it's kind of cool that it became what it became with just her on it. Yeah, I
1: think the version with just her on it's better anyway.
2: Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, it did completely surprise me, and I was saying that one of my favorite parts of the interview was when she told me that about You're Still the One from this moment on, Mm -hmm. and all I said was, funny how that worked out. She just, like, (laughs) burst out laughing, and she was like, I know, they became so huge. It was awesome.
1: Yeah, and You're Still the One. That was the first one that I heard. I remember that, like, that that video was on MTV all the time, and uh, that was the first song. Like, I probably knew of her as, like, a country artist, but... you heard you're still the one on the radio. I mean, obviously it has like a like a country influence to it, but that's a pop song. Like that, yeah. that's a song that like works in just about any format, and certainly worked on on top forty radio at the time, and was like the. The like middle school slow dance jam of that era, like that. uh All My Life by Casey and JoJo, and Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Those are like the big three. Man,
2: what a time to be alive! Yeah,
1: right. No, it was, it was a good time to to be a, a, young, a adolescent. yeah <laughs> uh But what's interesting about uh, you're still the one is that it was actually the third single off the album. And and you know uh, we've talked a bunch on this podcast about uh, some like some of the the biggest albums, especially of 1987. We talked about like Michael Jackson's Bad and. Uh, and uh, George Michael's Faith and, and a bunch of other albums like that that had, like, six or seven hit singles and, like, lasted for two or three years. And, like, not true of all of them, but, like, one of the, like, most frequent common elements of those albums is that the first single wasn't the biggest single. Mm-hmm. And that it might not even be a song that you really associate with the album these days. And that's 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 certainly true of Come On Over. The first single was was Love Gets Me Every Time.
0: That's one of my favorites, though.
1: Which is – it's one of the best songs <laughs> in the album. One of my personal favorites, too. But, like, it's a pretty, like, low-key song, and it's, like, a very country-leaning song. For sure. Uh, and so she kind of built momentum slowly with that, and then with uh, Don't Be Stupid, You Know I Love You, which is also like, uh, more another of a tra- – Another one of my faves. But more of a – another more, like, <laughs> traditional kind of country song. But then, yeah, like the fact that the the biggest single off of it was the third single, that just like took it to a whole new level, and like people that never heard of the album were, were suddenly buying it, and like that's how the albums like this end up selling like 16 million copies, is because it, it builds so slowly, and then it it peaks like a year and a half into its lifespan.
2: And I don't even know if there's really an explanation for it with yeah. why that song would latch on to other, or why people would latch onto that. Versus, I mean, maybe it's just the fact that it leans more pop, but
1: yeah, and it, it had like a. I don't know what the video for "Love Gets Me Every Time" was like, but you're you're still the one in that video. I mean, you don't have to dwell on this either. But like Shania Twain, probably one of the ten most beautiful women that's ever lived.
2: I mean, obviously,
1: obviously, and, and still Why is. Why do for you the think I wear part. her face on the yeah. shirt? Uh, but certainly, <laughs> she, she made for a very photogenic MTV star uh, with that video in particular, uh, right. and I'm sure that that helped things. Although it didn't really need it because the song was the song was obviously dynamite too. Uh, and then, yeah, like it got, went from that to From This Moment On, and then uh, That Don't Impress Me Much, which was uh, more of like a straightforward pop song, I would say, definitely like more of an upbeat pop song, and obviously had an iconic video in its own right. Is that one of your favorites, That Don't Impress Me I Much? I mean, obviously. Sure.
2: But, but one thing, doing the research and everything for this, that one thing that struck me was the fact that, man, I feel like a woman, and That Don't Impress Me Much, which I don't know about you guys, but I feel like those are like the quintessential Shania Twain songs. Not, Man, you feel uh, that like those are the quintessential Shania, Shania Twain the, songs? Yeah, for sure, right? <laughs> and, and like, I know that the ballads that we just talked about are two of her biggest songs too, but I feel like when you think of Shania Twain, if you're thinking like an upbeat, you know, the sassy, fearless Shania, it's Man, I Feel Like a Woman and That Don't Impress Me Much. Sure. And so I figured that at least one of them was a the number one song and neither of them were, and I was like, where were you people in 97? What's oh, going on?
1: Yeah, I did want to talk about this with you. Do you know or do you remember what number, man, I feel like a woman peaked at on the Hot 100? I thought
2: it was like four. No, eight. It was like eight or it's something. number
1: 23. Oh,
2: sorry. Hot, that was Hot 100. I was thinking the hot country songs. Okay. Sorry. But still...
1: Like, number 20, yeah. like is, is there a person alive that doesn't know Man, I Feel Like a Woman? Like, yeah. I I feel like that's the song that, that people latch on to from that year And now, like, it's the most frequently covered song. And it's, I don't know, it's like the karaoke song of choice. Yeah. And she says it's, like, her ultimate gay anthem for, for her live shows. Yeah. It's, it's, it's astounding to me that that only hit number 23. Like, I, I remember that song being as big as anything.
2: Well, I mean, even when you're not thinking... Hot 100. It's like when you're thinking country, you would think that that would have shot to the top. But the fact that it didn't even go top five, I was yeah. like, "What?"
1: It, it must be one of those things where like she was, she was, she was crossing over to such an extent by that point that country was like, "Do we do we even need to still keep playing her?" Like five, <laughs> like, yeah, pulling yeah, like, the like, Taylor on, like, it, yeah, I exactly. Guess. <laughs> she, she she definitely was the kind of the the, the Taylor before Taylor, and I'm, I'm sure Taylor herself would say as much.
2: Well, and she, uh, I mean, she talked to me about that a little bit. We didn't right. really dig deep into it, but I did ask her if she's had people because I, I figured the answer would be yes. But I did ask her. If people went up or have come up to her and told her that what she did with Come On Over, if that had any impact on how they were able to break, you know, whatever they wanted to do, which I think was probably arguably the most directly influenced on Taylor Swift just because of the fact imagine, that. She's yeah. like the crossover between pop and country. I mean, there's Carrie Underwood, but I feel like she's definitely leaned more country and stayed more country. And obviously, we know where Taylor Swift's. Career is at now. It's no more country. So, but
1: (laughs) yeah, there've only been two artists in my lifetime that I would I would would say come from the country world, but were as big in pop music as anybody else in their time. they're Shania Twain and Taylor Swift. I I, I don't think that there's another even close to on their level. Not not even someone like Carrie Underwood or Garth Brooks or any number of other extremely successful artists. But you know, that this came to a they came to a point with Come On Over where yeah, you didn't have to. You could be one of those people that say, like, oh, I listen to everything except for country, and you could still listen to a Shania Twain album. Exactly. Uh, when well, I
2: got to fact check myself right now because I wanted to make sure that I was right on this, I was wrong. Man, I Feel Like a Woman was the one that hit number four. That don't impress me much was number eight. Well, that's more
1: surprising to me. That's more of a but, country song to me than Man, I Feel Like a Woman.
2: Right. So, I mean – Regardless, it's still surprising, but I didn't want anybody attacking us for the the especially like Gary Trust or <laughs> oh, and
1: he'll do it too. Nobody, but, but he's told so. me he, he doesn't. Uh, yeah, Gary Trust of uh, of the Sharpie Podcast has specifically told me he doesn't listen to his Billboard competition, <laughs> so he, he will not be listening to this podcast. It, in case you were right. lying to me just then, Jer- Gary, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, don't, don't don't add. I us wanted on that to one. make
2: sure I made that clear. But still, regardless, I was shocked that it, that neither of them were number one. So that's but, the point I wanted to make with that.
1: Certainly, all huge hits. Anyway, uh, I, I would say, man, I feel. Woman, I think is my favorite. Is is, is, what what would you say is your number one?
2: Well, from that album, I feel like Honey I'm Home had like a it's funny because I was gonna call it like an underdog, but it's not, and that was a number one song, so kind of just dependent on what people liked in '97, I guess. But um, I feel like I was singing Honey I'm Home and I had a hard day when I was eight years old, (laughs) and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I had a hard day in second grade, but I, I think that one and I mean, obviously, Man, I Feel Like a Woman. I think I'm just trying to steer away from the the obvious, but right. I I mean, I got to tell her that my dad has done karaoke to Man, I Feel Like a Woman. and was... Which
0: explains
1: a lot about you personally, yes. I think. Yeah. Yes,
2: I think so. Uh, if only we could have him on the podcast. <laughs> but, but I got to tell her about how he was like, he did it on karaoke, and his coworkers demanded that he did it again. Wow. So, so I An feel like that always makes me feel... I don't know. It makes me feel some nostalgia when I listen to that song. But I think "Honey, I'm Home." That don't impress me much. Man, I feel like a woman. of the Of the big ones were like my top three. But if I had to go like the deep cuts a little bit, I think "Don't Be Stupid." I mean, they're still singles, but like you know, the ones. It's, that it's hard to get past ones. the
1: singles on this album. Sometimes exactly. I forget which ones were and which ones were. Exactly. You
2: know? I think "Love Gets Me Every Time" and "Don't Be Stupid." The first two are probably. Two of my favorites, but I think When was also an underrated, okay, underrated one. Nice it was I. Here. I found out today that it was not a single in the US, but it was a single in the UK. Mm. So I don't know. Could have been yeah, something but, if they had released it as a single here. But
1: between the international markets, I'm sure something like you know, ten to twelve of the sixteen tracks on this album were probably singles in some capacity yeah. or another. Not a lot of deep cuts to be 16 found.
2: Sixteen would have been. Hits yeah. Had they just released no doubt.
1: Uh, <laughs> and just real quick, like. We got to talk about Shania Twain's mastery of the exclamation mark in song titles. <laughs> like this is my favorite thing about her and I think you can actually like I don't know if they're directly proportionate, but you can trace like a pretty strong correlation between my favorite Shania Twain songs and the most exclamation marks in their title. The fact <laughs> that you get two, in man, I feel like a woman for the price of one probably is like a pretty good reason as to why I would consider that to be her masterpiece. And uh, just the, the synth riff to that, that song, punctuation, it's... man. Yeah, but it, that's what okay. it sounds like. It sounds like exclamation mark pop it does. music. Like yeah. you, you can hear it. In, you in can the actually and the beat. hear
2: the punctuation marks. That's part of that is like the biggest part of Shania's legacy. You can actually hear the yeah. punctuation. And
1: not not a lot of artists can get away with using them as much as she does, but uh, she earns those exclamation marks. Yeah, that's for damn sure. For sure. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, uh, the, you mentioned, I think, most of my favorites. I also really like the title track, uh, the, the accordion. Yeah,
2: and that's what's funny to me is that you'd think that the title track would have yeah. more pull or something, but it, it didn't really. And I, I would say that it's not the most, like, power punching or power packing, like, you know,
1: yeah, not, not, know, not a lot song of songs on U.S. radio with Accordion, I don't think, in 1997, right, 1998. Right. So it's, it's not surprising. But, it, you know, title track, she, clearly she felt fond of it. So yeah. I'm, I'm, it's, it's, a, it's a personal favorite of mine as well. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we, we could talk about all 16 tracks, as you could say. They're all potential singles. For sure. Uh, and, and the fact that most of them were uh, meant that this album, you know, took her took her almost as long to promote as it did to make it. Uh, and then, you know, she releases Up in 2002, I think. Mm-hmm. And then that's it for a long time. I know up, up was a pretty big album, too. I think it technically got certified Diamond because it was like a multi-disc thing. And that, that, that kind of played with the RIA certifications. But not the behemoth that uh, that that Come On Over was. Didn't, didn't have all. the same kind of crossover. But impact. I will
2: say for somebody like me that was only six when the album, when Come On Over came right. out, getting to know that album as I grew up. I was so ready for a new Shania Twain <laughs> album by the time I was 11 right, so years old. So that was your Shania
1: Twain album, so yeah. So
2: up, I mean, I listened to that song, or that song, that album, nonstop. I just remember sitting in my grandparents' house, not being able to stop listening to that album. And I think that's directly correlated to the fact that Come On Over was so big, and it just wasn't big, or I just wasn't old enough to recognize how big it was, but that also shows you like the impact that Come On Over had. For sure, you know, for the future albums. And
1: where do you rank up alongside Come On Over or even The Woman in Me? Does it does it does it, does it measure up to those other two albums, or is it a step down?
2: I would say it goes Come On Over up, uh, The Woman in Me one okay. two three. But I think it also just I think Up is definitely the more pop leaning albums, sure. and I and I'm more of a pop leaning person, so. I think I just gravitated toward that sound, especially because that was out right when, you know, Sync* Celebrity and, like, all of these really pop, heavy... Yeah, mega
1: like, pop Christina albums. Christina
2: Aguilera stripped, like, you know, like, all these... Really pop albums, but it, so it fit right in there, and I think that's why I loved it so much.
1: Fair enough, yeah. And actually, uh, Shania's back now. We she, she had her comeback album, uh, called she's Now, back now, she's back now, exactly. <laughs> back, comma, now, yeah. Uh,
2: punctuation, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get, get, get
1: the exclamation mark in there too, somewhere. Uh, and uh, number one album, I mean, obviously, not you know, times are different now. Uh, Shania Twain, you know, she hasn't had a hit single in a pretty long time now. Radio isn't really taken to the album the way maybe she would have hoped. But, you know, it's still sold well. Still, It's still sold respectably. It's getting you know, decently strong reviews. Are, are you a fan of this album?
2: Yeah. I would say that it didn't strike me the way that Up did. You know, I just feel like as soon as I heard Up, I was like, oh my gosh, this is hit after hit. I love this so much. And it's not to say that I don't love now, but I think it needs, it's one of those that needs a couple listens sure. and before you really can, because it's not really, you can tell it's not really an album where she set out to make hits. She set out to make an album... That means something to her because she's been through a lot of crap in the last 15 Uh, years and prior. So I think she even told me that it was a really difficult album to kind of muster up the courage to make. So And then let alone put it out. So I think... You can tell that there's a storytelling element to it that is respectable in a way that I'm not going to discredit it for not being stacked with hits the way that "Come On Over" was.
1: Yeah, and, and even if it doesn't really go onto that like incredible crossover commercial success, it still sounds enormous to me. Like no, nobody makes pop music as big sounding as Shania Twain to me. Right. Uh, and it's cool that. I think I think it's called cool. This Time She Did It, you know, without totally without Mutt Lang. And, you know, Mutt Lang was, was the maker behind, or at least, you know, the, the, the guiding hand behind a number of, like, the, of other, like, the biggest albums of all time. Like, ACDC's Back in Black and Def Leppard's hysteria, Like, he's gone diamond as, I mean, as many times as probably any producer in history. Now, don't don't fact-check me on that one either, Gary, if you're listening. <laughs> but, like, the fact that she was able to make an album that still sounds, like, very distinctly like a Shania Twain album without him kind of proves that it was really like about her all along and like For sure. as she says in in your in your piece like, that like you know songwriting was the thing with her like she wants to be a great songwriter and i think the songwriting on this album is almost as strong as it's ever been i actually really like this album a lot i, I think it's really interesting the way it kind of engages with modern pop music but still sounds kind of classic shania and she 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 tries a whole bunch of different new things but still comes back to her at the end. And I just think it's a really cool thing. I think it sort of proves a lot of the points that she was probably trying to prove with Come On Over and, and, and trying and since.
2: I definitely think it's kind of like a, it's a good representation of where she's at. Sure. And I think that's probably why it's called Now. Because <laughs> I was going to say where she's album. at now, and I was like, no, I'm not going to go there in with go that last pun. But no, I think that it's a really good representation of what she's taken from her career and her success and where she's wanting to go with that and I think also the fact that she's not done
1: yeah no and and in the meantime I think public affection for Shania Twain is about as high as it's been since the late 90s like
0: for you
1: sure. know we talk about like her uh, she, she was on our, our women in music event mm-hmm. last year and she was you know they were giving out Shania t-shirts and like the next day at the office like everybody was wearing them and I, I still am. Yeah, you still are, <laughs> yeah. And, like, like every, among our staff, I would say, like, the approval rating for Shania Twain is close to 100%. Like, yeah. e- even somebody like uh, Chris Payne, our, our primary rock guy, like, this is one of his favorite albums. Yeah,
2: I mean, I swear, whenever someone got word of the fact that I was interviewing her, they would, like, snap their neck and be like, you're interviewing Shania Twain? <laughs> I swear, like, of all the people, and I think that's when you ask me, where does this rank? It's like, well, frankly, her relevance, it's just amazing to be able to say that I've talked to a legend.
1: Yeah, you know? and she's still got that sort of, like, yeah that sort of hallowed star quality for that sure. that hasn't really dimmed in the 20 years since even though she's not really as around as frequently as, as she was back in those days but yeah like and, and then you see it in, in pop culture too like she had a cameo in broad city recently she played herself and she was like a figure of idol worship for the for the for the girls on that show and uh you know hi i'm covering that don't impress me much and like I, i've seen like people at weddings like playing man i feel like a woman and it's it's, it's unbelievable the, the way that like I feel like there there was a moment there where like you know when she, maybe during her hiatus especially when you know the, Papa drifted so far away from Shania's moment that people had kind of forgotten about her a little bit but I I think she's she's definitely like back in a big way and even if she didn't come out with this new album I think that like her relevance now would be about as high as it's ever been. And I know you recently talked to uh, to Sam Hunt, who is uh, sort of the, the crossover country artist at this moment. He's been the kind of guy that has sort of cracked the code on how to make country relevant to, to the Spotify world, to the streaming world, electronic world, et cetera. And I feel like if Shania, like if you pushed her 20 years later, that would be her. She would For be the sure. person that would, that would be figuring that out. And even though she's kind of that the spotlight to those guys now, like, she was, she was so ahead of her time at the time that like she'll always be relevant.
2: Well, and one thing, going back to the fans, I think what's really cool about her is that she recognizes how much love there is for her because one of the things that I asked her was where these songs from Come On Over kind of stand with her now and how her relationship has changed with them because of the fact that she's been performing them for 20 years and she had the Vegas residency where she obviously had to go through every hit every night for however long she did that and instead of saying something like you know i'm kind of tired of it or i mean i don't you can't get tired of man, man i feel like a woman and she said she never gets tired of that but like you know there's there would have been maybe some expectation from me to to hear her say i'm you know i'm looking it. forward to performing <laughs> yeah, new songs exactly. which she did say but not in a way that she's shoving those on the back burner but the what she did say like Right off the bat when I asked that question was what really changed for me is being able to see the fan reaction to these songs and what they've made of the songs and what they mean to people's lives. And, you know, so I think that's just really cool that I think I think that's kind of telling to why people love her so much is because they've the songs that she's created have Resonated with people in different ways, and I think it's really cool that she's recognizing that. Like, she even said that from this moment on, a woman had it on repeat as she was giving birth. Because who
1: has the presence of mind to like plan their their song on repeat while giving birth? That's that's impressive. That's That's true fandom, right there. I mean,
2: you need endurance when you're doing that, so (laughs) Shania, all the way for that help, but but yeah, I think that it just kind of speaks to the relationship that she's built, and that's probably why part of the reason why anyway people were so excited and you know seemingly haven't lost any love for her
1: taylor weatherby always welcome to come on over and coming around again (laughs) thanks so much look
2: at that